Got one more lesson here in our little study. There we go. Uh, from 2 Timothy. And we, we looked uh, last time about what Paul said that he had done, that he had fought the good fight, that he had finished the race course, and that he kept the faith. And, you know, that's something we all need to keep in mind. We're, we're running a race, we're fighting a fight, and we're holding on to our faith. Something we all need to keep in mind and remember. But Paul knew that his time was short, and, and uh, you know, the big question the big question is this, is what happens when you die? He knew his time was short. He was going to die soon. He knew that. We don't always get that kind of, you know, preparation, time. We don't always know when that's going to happen. But he knew, right? Paul knew. And so the big question is what happens when you die? An interesting thing is that in, in societies all around the world, they've done a lot of studies. And in, in, uh, uh, Randy Alcorn wrote a book called Heaven. And he said this, he said, The unifying testimony of the human heart throughout history is belief in life after death. He said, Anthropological evidence suggests that every culture has a God-given innate sense of the eternal world, of the eternal, that this world is not all there is. There's something in society, they're, they're looking, they're waiting, they're hoping, you see. Ecclesiastes tells us God has put eternity in our hearts. There's a longing for eternity in our hearts. And, and, but Paul knew, you know, the big question is what happens when you die? We saw that Paul said it was a departure. It wasn't an end. It was a departure. It was leaving this life and going somewhere, and, and he talked about it. In 2 Timothy uh, Four, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago in verse 18. He says that the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. God was going to bring him. He knew that. God was going to bring him safely to his heavenly kingdom. Well, how is he going to get there? And where is this heavenly kingdom? What is it that we're talking about? And so that's what I want to talk about today is heaven. I want to talk about heaven today. You know, the, the older that I get, uh-oh, the older that I get, the more that this becomes my favorite subject. Why is that? I think it's, you're one day closer every day. You're one day closer to that time. And it, it really is my favorite subject. And, and uh, you know, so it, this has given me an opportunity. I don't think I've ever done a message just on heaven. You know, it's something that we just, we talk about in passing, and we think about, and we, we believe in it, but I don't think I've ever done a message, and, and as I was digging into it and looking into it, I, I realized one week isn't even enough, but we're going we're gonna to try to encapsulate most of, of uh, the subject here today. You, you have heard, perhaps, the statement, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Have you heard that? You're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Well, you know, I've, I've heard that too, but you know what? I, I don't think that's the truth. Maybe it was for certain people at a certain time, but I think the truth is, is that we're so earthly minded that we're no heavenly good. We don't think about heaven enough. Because if we did think about heaven and what's going to happen when we die, we would be more ready and it would affect the way we live now. Because we know that this is not all there is. So am I going to invest everything here in me, in this earth, in this world? Or am I, going to think, am I thinking ahead? Well, what, what, is, what, what, what can I take with me when I go there? If I'm going to go there. You know, you, and I know you've heard this statement, so-and-so is in a better place. Have you heard that? You hear it when someone, someone dies, right? So-and-so is in a better place. And that is like such a vague statement. But they say it, and what can you do? You can't like, well, you know, it, you can't like, well, you know, question them. Well, what are you talking about? What do you mean by that? But, you know, it's something we need to think about. You can't just say so-and-so is in a better place. Number one, what is the better place? It's just a better place? What does that mean? Right? What does that mean? Nobody, they just say it's in a better place. And, and I think maybe some people are referring to heaven. 
And other people are just thinking, well, it's better than being here, so whatever it is, it's better. Better than what? But, but to see what the Bible says about what heaven is, it's not just a better place. That's like, a, that's like an understatement, right? If, and the second question is, if they are there. You know, just to make this blanket statement, so-and-so is in a better place, that means everybody is going to a better place, everybody's going to heaven, if they're referring to heaven. Ah, that's not what the Bible teaches. Not clear. It's, not, that's, it's clear that that's not what the Bible teaches. But, you know, our society, and, and I think it's gotten more and more watered down, but, you know, this is, you know, my whole lifetime, uh, you know, we're going to, you know, take a stairway to heaven, right? And it's the, like, most popular song of all time or whatever, you know, stairway. And, I'm, and it, it, But that whole song, the premise, you know, it's kind of weird, but, but it's really about I'm going to work my way. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there, right? That's why I played that little funny clip, because, you know, what am I going to do? How am I going to get there? Well, I, you know, it all balanced out for me. You know, I, I, I went, I took all the steps to get there. John Lennon, what did he say? The great theologian that he was, right? Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people, and get this, living for today. That's what he was all about, living for this, this society, this humanist. And he was, a, he was somewhat of a communist, really. And he says it. Well, I don't, I'm not part of the party, but that's kind of what I believe. Sad, isn't it? We have, you know, you, you remember that... Uh, program Highway to Heaven, you know, that, that was a popular program for a while, and, and, and again, uh, it, it was kind of twisted, you know, it was kind of, it, was, it wasn't biblical for sure, you know, they had these ideas and it was kind of a feel-good kind of thing, but, you know, it wasn't really accurate, but, but the basis for that was also, if you do good things, you're going to get to heaven. Now, does that mean we don't worry about doing good things? No. But is that how we get to heaven? By doing good things? You're going to outweigh, the good is going to outweigh the bad? This, one of the central premises of Islam is that, is that you, you know, your good works need to outweigh your bad, and then you'll be okay. There's a lot of, I don't know if you notice this, there's a lot of books and a lot of movies out lately about people who have supposedly, and how can we know, supposedly gone to heaven, seen things, and then come back, right? You've seen those kind of books and movies. They're, they're out. It's kind of popular right now. But I think my favorite is this, the picture that we have that we're kind of sitting on a cloud playing a harp, right? That's the picture of heaven sitting on a cloud playing a harp. Now, I don't know where that came from. But I think that, I think that what, what I want to talk about today, you know, we have all these ideas and images and, and people saying this and that. Paul, Paul the Apostle, though, he, he says that he was taken up to the third heaven, and he says, I, can't even talk, I won't even talk about it, right? 2 Corinthians, he says that, chapter 12. But where do we get our answers. Where do we know? How do we know what it's about? We have to look at what the Bible says. That's what we, we, we find the truth there. There's only one place that we're going to look. It's got a Bible. Now, there are a lot of questions about heaven. And, and uh, you know, I found this one uh, article in 35 different questions, and he answered every single one of them to the best of his ability. And there are a lot of questions, but most of them, most of the answers and, and, uh, you know, whether they're true or not is will yet to be seen, but we're speculation. Well, I speculate that this is the answer to that question because of this. So I want to kind of limit what I'm going to talk about today to what the Bible says about heaven. You know, not that we don't have other questions, you know, like, will my pet be in heaven? Uh, you know, those kinds of questions uh, we will have. But, 
you know, the truth is God's going to work all that stuff out in the end, right? But let's focus on what we, what we can read, what we can see in the Bible. And we, there, there's a lot of verses. We can't look at the, them all. There's just too many. But this is, this is one of my favorite verses. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has pre- conceived what God has prepared for who? For those who love him. But, and sometimes we quote the first verse, but we don't quote the second verse. We say, well, we just can't know because, you know, no eye has seen, no ear has heard. But what does he say? He says, but God has revealed it to us by his spirit. He has revealed it to us. So there's things we can know by his spirit through his word about heaven. We can. Right? Make sense? Yep. Are you with me so far? Okay, so the first thing I want to I talk about is this idea of the, the heaven, heaven, singular, and the heavens, right? The Bible uses that language the heavens, referring to really the physical skies, right? We have this kind of atmosphere and then, and then the, you know, where the stars and planets are and, and, and Paul says he was caught up to the third heaven. So we have this whole kind of atmosphere and skies and that's really kind of part of it, but is that what heaven is? No. In Psalm 8, he says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Okay, so it's above the heavens. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place in Psalm 19, the heavens declare what? The glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hand. So we have the heavens, and let's not misunderstand or, or mistake one for the other. It's not that God's just sitting up in the clouds there somewhere. and That's why we, we kind of get this picture of the sitting on the cloud and the harp. But there is this place called heaven, this place where we're, what we're talking about here today. And number one, I think what is very, very clear, number one about this place we call heaven is that it is the dwelling place in the throne room of God. Psalm 103, the Lord has established his throne where? In heaven. And his kingdom rules over all. Now, of course, it doesn't mean that he's limited to one particular place because God is omnipresent. He can be in all places at all times. But, but primarily, this is his dwelling place and where his throne is, you see. What do we say in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven... He's there in heaven. And and then it talks about his kingdom as well, which ties in with this verse here in Psalm 103. So God is there. The first thing and the the very most important thing about heaven is that God is there. God is there. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? When Jesus ascended on the Mount of Olives, where did he go? He ascended into heaven, right? So Jesus physically, bodily is there, right? He's here by his spirit as well. That's another subject. But he is there. He ascended. He's at the right hand of the throne of God. You can read about that in Acts chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 1. I read a, a, a cool quote from a guy named Leith Anderson about what makes heaven heaven. And he talks, and he says, my, my family and I have lived in the same house for 17 years. We lived there more than twice as long as I've lived at any other address. I'll sometimes refer to it as our house, but more often I refer to it as home. What makes it home isn't the address or the lot or the garage or the architecture. What makes it home is what? The people. That's what makes it home, the people, that, the people that live there. He says, what makes heaven heaven is not streets made out of gold, great fountains, lots of fun, and no smog. That all may well be. Actually, I think far, heaven is far greater than our wildest imagination. The same God who designed the best of everything in this world also designed heaven. 
yet that's still not what makes heaven heaven. What makes heaven heaven is God. It's being there with Him. And with His presence comes peace and contentment, a fulfillment, a sense that all is well. That is also a contentment that bubbles over into the rest of life. So what makes heaven heaven is God, number one. First and foremost is the fact that God is there. That God is there. We've got a lot more things to look at here in this in this brief study, but the fact is that He is there. That's number one. Now, there, there are other beings that are there, right? Angels, right? Heaven is full of angels. There are living creatures, right? So there are other beings that are there as well. But number two is that heaven is a place for believers, right? Believers. I want you to turn with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. We're going to look at a number of scriptures in the New Testament, but uh, let's start there in John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 1 says this. Jesus speaking to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. And in my Father's house are many rooms. King James says mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Notice he he uses that word place three times in those four verses, that there's a place. It's a literal place that's being prepared. It's not just some weird kind of existence existential thing. It's a place. It's a literal place where we will go and be with Him. Not just by ourselves, but with Him. Jesus said, you're going to come and you're going to be with me. The best part for believers is going back to number one again, that God is there, that Jesus is there, that we are going to be with Him. Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, I'm going to see him face to face. You're going to be able to see Jesus face to face. Thinking about about life and about death, and this, this this whole concept of death or what death really is is separation. Death is separation. When someone dies, they are separated from you, right? They're gone from you, right? And life is really being with someone. Life is being with. So heaven is is really what heaven is. It's life. It's being with the Lord and also with others, with others who are also there and, and, and that we will be sharing in this together. That's incredible with those who belong to Him. Those who, as we saw in the, the little skit there, who are children of God. Hell, on the other hand, death, eternal death, is being separated from Him forever and ever. That's what, that's what the definition of hell is. In 2 Thessalonians, it says that they will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of His power. That's what... Hell is being shut out, being separated from the presence of the Lord forever. That's a sobering thought. Spurgeon said, uh, the great preacher, he said something uh, to this effect. He said, when you speak about heaven, your face should light up. When you speak about hell, he said, your everyday face will do. Think about that. But it is a sobering thought, isn't it? To be separated from Him. Okay, so death is separation. Life is to be with. This is the 
the, the central fact of what the whole Bible is really all about, that God so loved the world, He sent His Son, that we could be with Him for all who would believe in Him. It's, and I'll talk about this in a minute, but it's not an automatic thing that we all are going to be in a better place, quote-unquote. So let's turn, let's turn as well to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 because we're going to see some more about this place. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I'll try to keep moving here because there's just so much about this, but it's, it's exciting. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 and following. He says, Therefore we are always confident. So, excuse me, let's start in verse 1, verses 1 and 2. Now we know that the earthly tent we live in is destroyed. We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Well, well, there's kind of two pictures here. One is this tent is our body, right? It's going to, we groan, we're still in this the tent of this body. We're going to get new bodies, the Bible talks about that in a lot of places. We're going to get new bodies. And so we're going to get a resurrected body. We're going to get a new body, but we're also going to be in this place that, that, that the groaning will be finished. That God is preparing this place. Not built by human hands, but built by God. Then jump down to verse 6. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. And we are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home in the Lord or with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from the Lord. Then he talks about the judgment seat of Christ after that. So this idea of, of being in this body and groaning, it's, this is not, this is not. And I think, I think this is something we innately know that this is not all there is. If this is all there is, we are in trouble. But there's something more than this. We groan, but to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So when do we get to go to heaven? As soon as we die. There's no, you know, kind of a soul sleep or some kind of a, you know, intermediate state that you go in for, you know, eons and eons until. No, spiritually, our spirit's going, we are with him immediately. Now, there still a, will be a time for the resurrection and the, the new bodies and all that. And we're going to read some about this in a minute. But at the point of death, people have have uh, interpreted it differently, but what did Jesus say to the thief that was on the cross? You'll be with me today. Where? In paradise. He called it paradise. Let's go to uh, the book of Revelation, because, you know, the book of Revelation probably has the most descriptive, and we're not even going to look at all of them. The first chapters of Revelation, there's a lot of things about what's going on in heaven. The angels, as I described, the living creatures, all the, the, the songs that they're singing, all this stuff that's going on in heaven. But let's jump ahead to the, to the end, because, you know, we have... The ability to jump. How many of you cheat and go to the end of books when you're reading a book and find out how, they, how it ends? Any of you do that? One person was not afraid to admit it. Sometimes we do that, but, you know, we can do that. We can jump to the end of the book and we can see, like, how is this all going to play out? And it's been spelled out for us. What is this better place? What is this place that we are going to go to if we are believers that Jesus said, I'm preparing this place for you? Look at chapter 21, and we're not going to read every verse, but a number of the verses in chapters 21 and 22. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. There's some radical things that are happening here. I don't know if you know this, but the, the, the heaven, it, we're going to have, a, it's, a, it's actually a brand new heaven and a brand new city. 
Randy Alcorn said this about it. He says it was a resurrected life in a resurrected body with the resurrected Christ on a resurrected earth. This is all new that he's creating. Prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. That's for us. Who's he preparing this for? Who did he create this for? For us. For those who believe in him, those who trust in him. Look at verse 3. He said, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. The number one thing, and and I, I keep referring to that because that's something that is very, very clear, where some of the questions we don't have the answers to, this is clear. The number one thing about heaven is that we will be with him. And he will be with us. Now we live by faith, right? That's what we read in 2 Corinthians. The just live by faith. But, but one day, we, faith will become sight. I think we heard that in, in the song, one of the songs we sang. Faith becomes sight. The dwelling of God is with men, that God will be with us and we will be with him. You say, well, you know, is that, you know, one of the things people say is, well, you know, am I going to just like be bored in heaven? Right? Maybe you've thought that. But I think we underestimate what heaven is going to be like and what God is like. I think one of the things that turns our lives around is when we realize who God is and what he's done. And, and we only get, uh, Paul said, we only get like a, a very small picture of what that's like. But he says, then we'll see face to face. Now we see, uh, you know, through a glass darkly, we just get this like sort of reflection of what heaven and what Jesus is like. But one day we're going to see him for who he is. How about verses 5 and 6? We, we uh, excuse me, verse 4. This is something I think that we can all relate to. He says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. No more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That enough right there, I mean, that description right there is, is would you say that's a little bit different from our world? What do we face? We face death. We, we face tears. We face pain. We, we face this mourning, this crying, the this, this suffering that we have here in this world. That's part of this world. Did he create this world like that, to be like that? No. When you think about the, the garden, right? It wasn't like that. The fall brought that in. The curse brought that in. But he's going to make it new. He's going to make it all new for you and for me. I don't know that we can totally get the picture of like, how, how is this going to play out? How is this going to work? But, but if you think about what, what we do know that God has created here in the planet and the earth, the beautiful things of, uh, of this life, even in the fallen state, there are many beautiful things about this planet, right? And about life and, and what he's given to us. And so... Do you think it would be any less than what we already have now as far as the beautiful things? It's going to be way more. No more death, mourning, crying, pain. Verse 5, he says, He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. To him who is thirsty, I will give. Are you thirsty today? He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. 
No one likes to talk about hell. No one likes to talk about uh, this imagery that we see here. But it's, it's the truth. It's what God has given to us. Are we going to go by, by just what someone in their own imagination says? Or are we going to go by what God's Word says? It's a choice. To those who are thirsty, I will give to drink. Jump down to verse 10. It says, He carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. And it shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal, and it had a great wall, a great high wall with 12 gates with 12 angels at the gates. And on the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. The glory, shining glory of God was there. This is, this is the, the place that we're going to, the place that God is preparing for you and for me if we belong to Him. Jump down to verse 18. It says, The wall was made of jasper, the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. Talks about all these different stones here, the incredible uh, stones that we, as you know, human beings, we we you know we like these beautiful stones. And but but heaven is you know is is way beyond even what we have. We we think it's good if we have a little stone in a ring here. The foundations are going to be some of these things. Verse twenty one: the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of pure gold, like transparent glass. The, the street itself was pure gold. That's kind of incredible, right? And we try to gather up as much gold as we can, right? We try to get as much gold as we can. And, and compared to the streets, right? I, I read a story, I, I've heard this before too, you know, where somebody said, you know, uh, God, I, I just have one request if I could just bring one suitcase with me when I go, right? And so he said, no, you don't need to bring, you're not allowed to bring anything. But he, he kept after him, finally God said, okay, you're going to bring one suitcase, right? And, and, and so he, he gets this suitcase, he gets up there and and, you know, uh, you know, they say Peter's there at the gate and whatever, and I don't know where that ever came from, but Peter's at the gate and says, you know, no, you can't bring that suitcase in. He said, well, I got special permission. I'm going to bring the suitcase in. He said, okay, but I'm going to have to look in there first. And he opens it up and looks in there. It's, it, the guy had collected all the gold that he could get his hands on and filled the suitcase, right, full of gold, right? And Peter said to him, like, What's the big deal? What did you want to bring, you know, pavement for? Right? Like it's, but, but we think that that's what's important, right? No, he's got something way, way more important. Verse 22 and 23, I didn't see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. They don't even need the sun or the moon, any kind of light. Verse 27, nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. didn't say it's... Everyone's going to be there, but those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Jesus told his disciples, you know, they were rejoicing about, about seeing, you know, Satan fall. And, and he said, don't rejoice over all that, though. That's, you know, that's good and everything. He said, rejoice rather what? That your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. How do you get your name written in heaven, right? If, you, if you're following me here, if, if this is the place we're talking about, how do you know you're going to go there? How are you going to get your name written there? Jump ahead to chapter 22, 
Verse 1, he says, The angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb and down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. Notice that, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. We see plants, we see things growing there, right? It's, a, it's alive, things are alive. It's not just some sterile environment. This is life. If you think about, again, the planet that God has created, but, but the, the, the tree of life is there, right? Does that ring any bells, the tree of life? Adam and Eve were not allowed to eat from the tree of life. Why? They'd live forever in this fallen state. That would not be good. Can you imagine living in your current body forever? Oh, that's not heaven. Verse 3, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face and his name will be on their foreheads. That's what, that's what the number one thing about heaven is. That, that's what makes heaven heaven, you see. A lot of these other questions, they're interesting they're in, and maybe important in some different ways, but the number one thing is if you don't want to spend eternity with God, then you don't want to go to heaven because that's what it's about. Yes, we will be spending time with the people, the other people that, that will be there as well and having relationship in one level or another with the people that are there. But number one is God. Hebrews chapter 11 talks about, uh, talks about the fact that we're aliens and strangers here, Right? And, and uh, you know, it says that, that they were longing, they were looking for a better country. They were longing for a better country and a heavenly one. They wanted, they were longing, looking ahead for it. And in and, and Hebrews chapter 11, they call it the hall of faith because these were people who lived by faith. They had faith in God. But they were longing, looking forward. They wanted it. Paul said in Philippians 3 that our citizenship is in heaven. So the question is, how do we get there? We already read in John chapter 14 about the fact that Jesus was preparing this place, but he went on in the next verse to say this. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. Because Jesus said, you know the way. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, and he said that those words that we quote often because they're so important. I am the way, he said, and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. How do we get there? How are we going to get to that place, this place that we're talking about that we call heaven? and all that God has prepared, and all that God has prepared in the future, the new heaven and the new earth, and, and, and just the very presence of God Himself. How are we going to get there? How are you going to get there? Many, if not most, want to go there. Many think that they will, but Jesus is the only way. If you could take a little microphone and go out on the street and stop people and you say to them, do you think that you'll go to heaven when you die? What kind of answers do you think you're going to get? I've been good. I think so. I hope so. I've been to church. I gave money. All kinds of different things. Is that what's going to get us into heaven That when we die? Someone said this, many buy cemetery lots in advance, but do nothing about preparing for a home in heaven. I don't have a cemetery lot yet. I got to work on that. 
One more quote from Randy Alcorn. He says, The wise will consider what awaits us on the other side of this life that so quickly ends. Most people live unprepared for death, but those who are wise will go to a reliable source to investigate what's on the other side. And that source is the Bible. There was a guy named D. James Kennedy. Any of you ever heard of him? He was a pastor of a big church in, in Florida. And he had an opportunity. He's passed away uh, uh, some years ago, but he had this opportunity to meet with President Ronald Reagan at the White House with other people that were there. But, but he, he went to the president. He asked him personally, he said this, he said, suppose you were to die and found yourself standing at the door of heaven. If God were to say, why should I let you into heaven? What answer would you give? Now, he's kind of bold. I mean, he's asking the president of the United States, Ronald Reagan, you know, this question. I think we should ask ourselves, what answer would I give? Is it some of the ones we just quoted here? Is that what we're going to say when we get there? Like the skit that we saw? But the end of the story is that, that uh, President Reagan it says that he paused and, and uh, he thought about it for a moment and then he replied, well, I guess I'd have to answer with John 3.16. I guess I'd have to answer with John 16, that, that God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That's heaven, everlasting life with him forever. One more passage I want to look at. I know I've, I've been going uh, a little bit long, but I'd like you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Because it's the most important thing to be ready and prepared for heaven. And I hope each and every one of you made that decision to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And, and, but, but it doesn't just stop there, right? I think heaven affects our world today. Heaven affects how we live today. The kingdom of heaven. Jesus talked a lot about it, the kingdom of heaven and, and what is the kingdom of heaven is like. And, and a lot of it is heaven the kingdom of heaven, that we're obeying the king of heaven here on this earth, and it's affecting how we live and, and what goes on in our lives today. But look at uh, verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is Paul the Apostle speaking earlier than 2 Timothy, obviously. To live is Christ, to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me, yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Con convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Paul, writing this earlier, he said, you know what? If there's anything I want to do, it would be to go and be with him. It's far, far better. But he said, you know what? In the meanwhile, what am I supposed to do? And for Paul, it was to, to help others in the faith, right? Now, in 2 Timothy, Paul said, the time is done now. Different statement that he's making here today in, in Philippians chapter 1. You know, to live as Christ, to die as gain. You know, I, I would talk to my mom before she passed away and, and, and look for these opportunities to talk about it because I knew she's getting older. She's in her 90s, right? And I knew that time was getting short. And so I would, I would bring up these opportunities to talk about heaven, and the fact you need to be ready to go there. And it's not always, you know, you, it's not always to bring the subjects up like that with your family, right? But I would try to find these opportunities and bring them up, as, you know, as gently as I knew how. And, and uh, you know, I'd say, I'd say, Mom, you know, I'm really, I'm really thinking about heaven, you know. And my mom, you would have to know my mom, but she was kind of... Uh, 
she just got to the point, kind of cranky maybe a little bit, and she said to me, you know what? You got work to do. You can't be thinking about heaven now. She didn't know I was trying to tell her about heaven. She just said, you know, like, but, but we did have some good talks about being ready for heaven, that it's Jesus that gets you there. It's not being a good person, doing a good thing. I, I saw a little clip by Greg Laurie. He said, you know, we're going to be surprised by people who are there, surprised by people who are not there, and we're going to be surprised that we are there. I think that's true. Why? Because it's not based on what we think. It's based on what he thinks. It's based on, on trusting in Jesus Christ. But till then, till then, I need to do what I'm supposed to do. You need to do what you're supposed to do. Until then, one day it's going to be where, okay, this is it. Time's ready. You got to go. Sooner or later. You know, it's always in the news, you know, so-and-so that we, you know, celebrity, you know, passed away, they died. It's going to happen. And you see, there's no, you know, they don't all make it to their 90s. Some of them, their 60s and 50s and 70s and 80s. And, and it's going to happen. We need to be ready for it. But until then, what are you going to do? How are you going to live your life? You're going to be just like gathering up as much gold as you can get because then what? I can tell you right now that that story about taking the suitcase, that's not going to happen, okay? That's not going to work. Besides, it's useless anyways. Useless, just like dirt, just like pavement. What are we going to live our lives for? Paul said, I'll, I'll remain. I'm going to stay with you until God says it's time. We got a little trailer I want to finish. Uh, Dan, can we uh, play a little trailer? It's from My Hope. They did a My Hope where we've been talking about that, and it's a way to share the truth with people and your families and friends and their short movies, but they did one on heaven. So I'm going to play this little clip, and then we'll close in prayer. This is uh, My Hope. We all walk on a razor's edge, a thin line between life and death. All of a sudden, I just got this crazy feeling, and I knew that it was my dad. And I just said, no, no, no. majority of my life has already been lived. I don't have very much longer. I know that. If there's a life hanging in the balance, we're willing to put ours on the line so that they may live. And I came to the realization that this was it. I'm overcome with anger. To escape it. No death, no pain, no sorrow. And I want to ask you tonight are you prepared? Are you ready? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we, uh, we do have other questions, Lord, but I think if we can focus on the fact that heaven is where you dwell, where your throne is, where we will be with you forever and ever, and, and those things that we face here in this life, are, you're going to deal with all those. And even the questions that we have, you're going to deal with every one of those too. Because you are a good God. You are the creator of the universe. You are the God who created us. And, that, and our hearts only find rest as they find rest in you, as someone has said. 
I pray that we would be ready, each one of us would be ready, because we don't know the day or the time. We are living on a razor's edge. That we would let our friends and family know what's important, that heaven is real. That you prepared a place for all those who would trust in you and believe in you. None of us are good enough to get there on our own. But Jesus steps on the scale. The perfect Lamb of God. Father, I pray for each person here today, and if maybe there's someone here today who's, who's heard these words about heaven and you want to go there, well, if you're thirsty and you want what God has to offer, you can simply trust and believe in Him right now. And you can say, Jesus, I, I'm lost. I have no hope. And so I come to you today, and I open my heart. I open my life to you the Savior who died on the cross for me, for my sin, and rose from the dead. Come into my life today. Father, I also pray for each of us that we, until the time comes for us to be with you, we'd use our time wisely. We'd not be pursuing the things of the world uh, more than we need to, but pursuing you and the plans and the purposes that you have for us while we're here, Lord, that we might be about the Father's business while we're here, Lord. I know that's hard sometimes, but you will enable us. And bless this church, Lord, that we might be used by you to reach people with with the truth of heaven, the truth of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together, shall we?